2: This is a Rogue Media Network podcast.
1: Today on KWTX at 4, coming up, it's Halloween and the last day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We're helping you get rid of your mammogram scaries.
3: Plus, have you ever wondered about the history of the McLennan County
0: Courthouse? Well, Judge Matt Johnson has you covered in his new book. And from Gold Snakes representing her Reputation album to blonde wigs from all of her eras, even the Swifty Sphere is getting spooky this Halloween.
1: KWTX at 4 starts now. Thanks for joining us. I'm Justin Early here with Keisha Lopez and meteorologist Camille Hawksworth. If you're like us, your day's already been filled with tricks and a couple treats. A lot of tricks today. <laughs> it's been a wild day. But guess what? Here's, yes. Here's the treat. Beautiful, fun, viewer submitted photos of Halloween costumes. Just yes, look at them. Yes, Take yes. A, oh, oh, this is my a little gosh. baby. Is this a baby bear or a baby lion? I can't quite tell. It looks
3: like a lion. And, and
1: spokes to the car dealership, some trolls. Oh, those are so great with the wigs, the trolls, trolls dolls. Uh, we have, uh, yes, the uh, Flintstone family. Yabba dabba do. That's right. Pebbles there. And then Jack Skellington. Yes.
3: Oh,
1: and, who do we, and then Mario <gasps> and Luigi. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Yes. That's uh, good, I love that. And the cone. Remember the cone heads, you guys? From oh, S&O? way back. Way back. <laughs> but those look really good. At, at the Energizer Buddy, there he oh, is. Oh,
3: okay. Keeps
1: going and going. And I was
3: going. like, what in the world is that? Yeah. The That's Energizer a Buddy.
1: Do you okay? What is the appropriate age range to go trick or treating? What do you think? When actually going door to door asking for candy? When is like? When do you begin? When's the cutoff?
0: I say all ages. Yeah.
1: Trick-or-treating? I don't well, know. I'm not so not gonna, gonna walk Monday up there 45 Okay, 12. no. What okay. Where does it cut off? What do you think?
0: Uh, I don't know. If you're considered a kid by any standard, I think it's okay to go trick-or-treating. 16 or treating.
1: too old, do you think?
0: I think or? it's okay. If they're still, like, in that phase of, like... I still want to be a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. youthful. Youthful, and they're not out doing other things. I think Mm -hmm. it's okay to give them a piece of candy.
4: Yeah,
3: what do you think?
0: I will say we did look at the older kids
3: funny when they knocked on our doors, especially if they came Uh, without costumes. costumes. Okay, Mm yes, not dressed is a little iffy, but (laughs) yes.
1: I I think my last. When was your last trick or treat? The the last time I actually went door to door. Do you remember?
3: I don't know, but I will knock on your door tonight if you're home. I, know, I, <laughs> is on. I have
1: no problem. <laughs> uh, I think it was seventh grade for me. And okay, like, yeah, I was getting, oh, totalized. I was in high school. <laughs> I think girls can pull it off longer than guys can probably.
3: No, I think there was a group of us, like seniors. Yeah. See, around,
1: big kids. Well, see, And when you're a
0: senior, kids. you're 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, maybe. So, yeah. I guess
1: it just depends on the situation, as long as you dress up. Because people want to see a costume, that's the yes. trade. See the good costume, get the candy. That's how it works, guys.
3: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right, well, let's get to our Daily Four on this Halloween.
3: All right. So this is actually a serious one so this just in today from governor greg abbott's office he has issued a proclamation to expand the agenda for this third special session for universal school choice. This includes additional funding for schools, for teacher pay raises, safety, special education. This comes from what Abbott calls, you know, productive conversations with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and House Speaker Dave Phelan. Um, Instead of the $8,000 for eligible students, you know, to have that money put into their education savings account, well, this program would allow them $10,400 per year. So that's an increase from what was discussed, you know, weeks ago. Another key aspect of this legislation would replace the STAR test with an improved assessment. So obviously remember the governor wants this um, education savings account for every eligible student in the state. That's a lot of kids. We're talking like Mm -hmm. five, six million kids. So um, I don't know whether this is going to pass or not. We'll just have to see. I do know that for the second day this week, Um, the House has adjourned early Mm. because they didn't have a quorum.
1: Okay. It's interesting. We'll see how this is going to play out. Oh, yeah. Also, don't forget to early vote. So, you remember in the other special session, we saw that property tax relief passed and the governor signed it. Mm -hmm. Guess what? That only gets it to the point of the ballot for you to vote. We have to go vote to uh, say yes or no to that. So, I think a lot of folks are probably on the side of yes, you know, property taxes in Texas as high as they are. But, uh, of course, early voting ends. This, the, Friday. this Friday, then of course next Tuesday is the election. So you get that early voting is the best. Take advantage of that, right? Yeah. Avoid the big lines. Have <laughs> you voted? Vote I'm going to do tomorrow.
3: Okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, haven't sure.
1: done it yet. Uh, I saw the clock ticking. tomorrow was like, "Tomorrow's Wednesday. Let's get this done now." Absolutely. Because you know, on election day, we don't really get to get out of here. Yeah. So we're we going to have to do it early for sure. All right. Let's go now to number two in our okay. daily. four uh, here's a question: If you're trying to sell a house you believe to be haunted. Do you have to disclose the information to potential buyers?
3: Yes, but I'm sure you know that.
1: That you believe to be haunted.
3: That you believe to be haunted? Or maybe no. No. We're talking about
1: hauntings, (laughs) which are people... Not in Texas, I don't think. Okay, so believe so at, at all. Should this ever be addressed at all in real estate?
3: It should. Yeah, okay. just you know, a little little FYI if you hear things go bump in the night. <laughs> you're the realtor, though. Yeah, yeah.
1: But here's you're right. Texas doesn't have it. Right. So you're no Texas, Texas doesn't have it. Let me tell you what the real the situation is okay. in other states. Believe it or not, four states do address hauntings, hauntings. in a legal way when it comes okay. to real estate sales. Now, the Wall Street Journal says that three states directly mention <coughs> a supposed haunting as a factor but a non-material fact. That does not have to be this close to potential buyers. So they acknowledge it as a factor, Hmm. but you don't have to necessarily tell anyone. Those states are Massachusetts, Minnesota, and New Jersey. Now in New York, very different. Something called the Ghostbusters case. (laughs) Of course. Of course, New York. Ghostbusters set a kind of precedent for disclosure. So a man put a down payment on a house and before closing he learned the sellers publicly claimed they saw ghosts. He tried to get out saying he wouldn't have bought it if he knew the house was haunted. Then he took the sellers to court. Eventually with an appeal he won, Hmm. he got his down payment back and the contract was rescinded after about two years of legal back and forth. So the rule there is if you publicly state that a home is haunted, if you say yeah my house is haunted, I see ghosts, there's blood running down the walls, whatever, (laughs) you can't say you don't need to disclose it. If it's public, you gotta tell people uh, that are buying your house. That seems fair. <laughs> I think that seems fair. I would very appreciate fair. that. Oh, yeah. by the
3: way, you know, if you get up around 2 a.m., just, you <laughs> know, don't mind the little girl with... Like, <laughs>
1: You know. <laughs> right, with the braids of the, the twins in the hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> uh, okay, so also, where's the most creepy haunted place in Texas? And there's a lot of debate. We have a lot of historic locations in Texas. HGTV has named Galveston's Grand Galvez Hotel mm-hmm. as the creepiest place in the state of Texas. And the hotel is also known as the Queen of the Gulf, rich history, mm-hmm. told to be haunted by the love-lorn lady mm-hmm. who died with a broken heart after she heard that her love died at sea. Well, he arrived at the hotel. Five days after she died. Yikes. Mm. Okay, I guess expert, or experts say guests say that they go there and they experience cold breezes, door slamming, flickering lights—the kind of same thing that you hear. Mm-hmm. But where's the most haunted place you feel you've ever been, or what you felt the most unnerved? Like something's not quite right here. New
0: Orleans. No hesitation there. Oh, for yeah. Sure. <laughs>
3: yeah. I don't know. I have no right. idea. I will say, lovers' leap here mm. in Waco. There's kind of an eerie feeling up there yeah. sometimes. You know, if you're if you're going there late in the evening, like right before they're trying to lock that sucker oh, down. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. And the sun is like down really, really low, where there's just a little hint of light in the sky, yeah. and the wind blow. I don't know. Yeah. It can it can give you a little eerie feeling right. sometimes. Um, <laughs> it I- I'm sensitive.
1: I grew up, uh, well, I spent my high school years, and my family's, my generations of family, my family lived in this house. It's Oklahoma, it's this old farmhouse, and it was built in the 1800s, and so they kept expanding and expanding. And so everyone in the house, at some point, at some point in our lives, we all heard, had the same experience. We all heard someone, a man's voice, say our name out loud Justin. Uh huh. And we thought it was legit, and we got up and said, who's, what, what's, what's going on? Who is this? Uh huh. Uh, every single person. We discovered this at dinner one night. We were all sitting around the table. They so all had the same two, experience. You have two. You have two. You have two. So yeah, that happened. That was kind of interesting. Meal. But yeah, yeah, New Orleans though. I know though, that's
0: that would be freaky if you thought that was just your experience and then you realized that everyone. it was happening to everybody. It's like
1: we all had the same dream. Oh, yeah, oh my it's God. kind of one of those things. Ooh, spooky. It was okay. it was okay. They were nice. It was a nice ghost. Whatever. It's fine. Now okay. to number three on our <laughs> daily four. <laughs>
0: all right. This one is about Halloween pairings that you may like or you may not have heard of these before, but the family Founder of That Cheese Plate, a community for cheese lovers across the globe, is helping adults celebrate Halloween. Cheese influencer—that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Author and food stylist Maritza Mullen released a list of some of her favorite Halloween candy, cheese, and drink pairings. Let's go through them and see what you think. Hmm. All right, we've got che- we've got wine and Butterfinger. That's a red okay, wine. H1. We have
1: the Cab Sab with the sharp cheddar. Uh huh. And the Butterfinger. Yeah,
0: so cheese, wine, and Butterfinger. Okay. Um, that's that top left corner. In the top right corner, you got Snickers, you've got uh, white cheese, and oh, Pinot Noir, or no, Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. Okay. And then
0: the bottom left, you've got uh, Crunch, you've got Brie. No, is that not Brie? Camembert. Oh, yeah. Okay. that. These are two fancy for me. I don't but, know my And champagne, so a little bit bubbly there. And then the bottom corner, you've got Reese's, you've got Aroha wine, mm-hmm. uh, which would be like in between white and red and, oh yes, okay. Um, and
1: Manchego cheese with that. And Manchego
0: that? cheese. Yes, I, I don't think I've ever had Manchego before. I can do the first three.
1: I, I can see that working, but I'm not sure about that last one.
0: Okay. Is, this Rio, the, there's, huh? is there
1: a second one too? A second pairing set? Oh yeah, there is.
0: There is. There's, there's another set. Yep, right here. So you can kind of you can scan the QR code there on the screen too to follow our Instagram to see all these different pairings after the show as well. I kind of like that popcorn one there with aged Gouda. And hard cider, maybe that's not wine based. So I like I can do that. That yeah, sounds actually I can pretty do that. good, yeah. Um and a I deep
3: chocolate something. Where's the
1: dark chocolate in this That's thing? what that's, I'm looking, that's I'm looking what for. I'm the, missing.
3: Yeah, I'm looking for the dark chocolate
0: yeah. and a port. Well, it sounds like you're making your own pairing so that we would of, like to try. I think you, are,
1: you and I are of the same mind yeah. when it comes to that. Well, we're gonna have to figure that out and celebrate <laughs> that for sure. Yes. Like well,
0: it. Mullen, she does say that strong cheeses, like the combination there, like a blue mm-hmm. cheese, mm-hmm. can really stand up against the intensities of the wine tasting so you're already getting the complexities there. And Mm -hmm. then you get a little decadent with the chocolate as well. So, you know, I I am not throwing out these wild combos. We've seen (laughs) wild combos like Peeps, Dr. Pepper. So, we can do... If we can do that, we can do... this kind of combo, too.
1: Well, I think we huh. finally found a way to enjoy candy corn. What was the candy corn here? It was candy corn and a couple other things, which I don't really like candy corn. I think there's candy corn a
0: white wine and a white it. cheese. Yeah,
1: if you candy mix candy it with other things, I would, let's see, candy corn, brie, and chardonnay. See, chardonnay, there's that, the brie. that is a good link, depending on the kind of chardonnay you get. I can see that being a nice mm. setup, and that would be good. You like that one, too, right? Mm. A little bit? I
0: like the I, I Just like the candy, the candy corn, candy by, itself. corn <laughs> by itself.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay that's all right. That is. Ali
0: Calibor, that's her favorite candy, too, she told me. Candy corn,
1: candy. the candy corn. Yeah. Yes, I mean I like it like in a cupcake. It just can be by itself. I need it with something else.
3: You know, I, I came something. across the recipe. It was a candy corn cake, and it had the layers, you know, good. the different colors, and then you slice into it, and then candy corns like pour oh, out sounds, of it. That sounds kind that's of cute.
1: That's a cute cake for you. Yeah, you have to remember that was your birthday.
3: Uh, September 7th. So a little so we've got bit a whole early, year. we have <laughs> to, okay, maybe <laughs> we can do that for next okay. year.
1: We'll see. Don't, don't, don't forget do We'll figure that one out. <laughs> All right, let's do our last number four in our Daily Four.
3: All right, so new kids on the block are going step by step back in time this summer. Uh, so Donnie Wahlberg, Joey McIntyre, Jonathan Knight, and Jordan Knight, and also Danny Wood have announced the, quote, Magic Summer 2024 Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Were you a fan?
1: I'll tell you my story after this. Okay. I, I, I don't want to interrupt you. Really it's,
3: a it's a nod. It's a nod to their second ever tour, which was in uh, 1990. This time around, they are bringing special guests Paula Abdul, mm-hmm. DJ Jazzy Jeff. Uh, the tour runs three months starting June 14th in Ohio. Presale begins tomorrow.
1: People are going to see that. They're uh-huh. going to love it. They all have their moves still. They didn't... <laughs> I mean, they're probably pushing oh, 50, Keisha, 50 yeah. <laughs> or more, 50 or, or older. I've got to check the ages of these guys, but there are three they look great. In Texas. We need to go to one of them for sure. So, but okay, yeah.
0: We, yeah. People have gone to Taylor Swift. People have gone to the Jonas Brothers recently. Mm -hmm. Now we need to throw that one on the mix, too.
1: I may have told the story before, and you might know it, but when I was in elementary school in fifth grade, Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon, a kid at the school won a contest, Nickelodeon took over our school for the day. This was in 1989. This awesome. is when this was, and so everybody said, are you going to see the new kids in your cafetorium? And I was like, I guess. Yeah, who are they? I had no idea. So they performed in our cafeteria auditorium, our cafetorium, and uh, it was amazing. I, it was a really cool experience. I was in fifth grade, wow. and I had a great time. It was fun. Did yeah. you scream? No, I didn't. <laughs> Actually, there was a girl I had a crush on, and and so she was giving them a lot of attention. It was my birthday, and I was Aww. like, I was kind of pouting in the corner, like, but oh. I guess it was a New Kids on the Block. I can see the draw. I get it. Yes. it ran out, me and my fifth grade self. So anyway, cool. it was good. So I would check them out again. I bet they'd be fun to see. They came yeah. to perform
0: on your birthday. That's a birthday present for you. It was a birthday you. present for <laughs> sure. Uh, Just a few moments. Uh,
3: it's rightfully so that we're taking a look at the Baylor campus there. All month long, we have been, you know, having conversations with medical experts covering different topics related to breast cancer awareness. I know from personal experience that taking that first step to get your first mammogram can be a bit intimidating and might even have you a little spooked. Uh, but here to help us get rid of the mammogram scaries is Michelle Wilson with Baylor Scott and White Breast Center. Uh, first of all. Good to see you. You too. Thank you for coming in to (laughs) talk about this. Okay, what is the biggest,
4: um, I don't know, fear that you hear from women, you know, when they have to make that first appointment? The biggest fear is that it's going to hurt, Yeah, and it does not, for most women. Mm -hmm. You do have some women out there that are just super tender to the touch, and for those women it is a little bit more uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but for most women, when they get done, they look at me the first time and go, that's it, and I'm like, that's it. I think that was me last year, right? It was. I think you were a lot more nervous than once it was over, you were like, that wasn't bad. <laughs> and now I have to make another appointment. Yeah, now it's time. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about the process, just real quickly. So we do four pictures, yep. two on each breast, mm-hmm. and two from the top, mm-hmm. two from the side, little mm-hmm. tight, little uncomfortable, and compression, less than, you know, probably 30 seconds each picture, and in, in and out in about 30 minutes. It's mm-hmm. From start to finish, it is so fast. Yeah,
3: um, so as women, you know, we hear a lot about myths you know, regarding mammograms. Um, So I have a list, some of the most common ones and together hopefully we're gonna, you know, bust those myths up. Okay, so here's the first one. Um, I don't need a mammogram because breast cancer doesn't run in my family.
4: First of all, breast cancer's gotta start somewhere and don't you wanna know if it's with you? And 85% of women that we diagnose have no family history at all, Hmm. so big myth. Okay. Big myth.
3: All right. Second one. Um, Breast cancer is more common in women with
4: bigger, fuller breasts. Unfortunately, any shape, any size. You know, and even men who don't have a whole lot of breast tissue at all can get breast cancer. Um, There is a link between obesity and breast cancer Mm -hmm. because of some things with estrogen and being stored in our fat cells and whatnot, but no, the bigger the breast does not mean that you're more likely to get mm. breast
3: cancer. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of uh, didn't rush to get my first mammogram. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a lot of breast tissue and it didn't run in my family, yeah. so,
4: you know. But 85% of women it doesn't.
3: Yeah. Alright, myth number three, breast pain is, you know, just a definite sign of breast cancer. I'm afraid.
4: Yeah. And no, usually things that cause pain in the breast mm-hmm. are not worrisome. Typically it's a cyst or something that's um, hormones, things like that. Mm-hmm. But typically things that cause pain are not cancer. Now that doesn't mean there aren't some types of cancers that mm-hmm. can cause pain. But most of the time it's just, a, it's just a cyst.
3: And for women, I think even around that monthly time, you get sensitive anyway. That's your so. hormones
4: kind of fluctuating yeah. and whatnot. Absolutely.
3: Okay. All right, myth number four, finding a lump in your breast means you have breast cancer.
4: No, we have all kinds of benign lumps in our breast cysts that we just talked about are Mm -hmm. typically just full of fluid and that's going to feel like a lump when a woman's examining her breast. Um, You can have things that are called fibroadenomas which are benign nodules, lumps that young women especially will have in their breast and then sometimes our breast tissue just fills thick and dense and Mm -hmm. feels like a lump to us. But when the woman comes in and we do the mammogram, then we proceed to an ultrasound ultrasound scans it and it's like, no it's just normal breast tissue that feels funny. So, mm-hmm. not always. Okay. But important to get them checked anytime you have them. Absolutely. Visit with your doctor about it. Okay, myth number five, a mammogram can cause breast cancer or at least spread it. Yeah, no, it is, mammograms are the gold standard at detecting breast cancer. So, a lot of women, I think, think that that compression and that squeezing, they're like, if I didn't have breast cancer when I came in, I'm gonna have it when I leave. You know, <laughs> yes. that I've heard that yeah. a lot and it's like, no, 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 But that compression is used to spread the structures of the breast, Mm -hmm. because breast cancers can be tiny, and that's when we want to find them, when they're like the size of the tip of our pinky. Right. You know, so if we've got all this thick, dense breast tissue, we have got to compress it so we can smooth it out, so we can see those tiny, fine, little cancers. So the compression is used to detect the cancer. It doesn't cause it, and if the one's there, it doesn't pop it and make it spread or anything like that. Okay.
3: And uh, our last myth. Um, mammograms are
4: painful and just time-consuming. Well, like we just talked about when we started, just me and you chatting, you know, they are not painful for most women. And Mm -hmm. if they are, talk to your mammographer. You know, be your own advocate and say, you know, I've been hurt before, and they'll work with you. I know we will. I know I will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I always talk to my patients if they've had a bad experience. And then time-consuming, we know women are busy and that is our goal is mm-hmm. to get a woman in and out of our department in about 30 minutes and sometimes less mm-hmm. because we got things to get to and we don't want to make time you know yeah. an issue for women and not get their mammogram
3: not to be a cheerleader for Baylor Scott and White however last year I was in and out I was so amazed at how quickly first of all how quickly you got me in and out mm-hmm. um, it wasn't scary I think I built all of this up in my mind yeah. like worst case scenario Um, You guys are tender when you're, t- I mean, no, seriously, yeah, no, good. y'all that are really tender when you're talking to people.
4: Yeah, I'm gonna ask you, how does that make you feel when you have that scary patient come in there? I love easing a woman's mind. Mm-hmm. It makes, I, I love my job. I mean, I really, really do. For, it comes across. S- for 25 years, I've loved my job. But it makes me feel so good whenever a woman leaves. And most of the time, they'll hug me, and they're like, that wasn't bad, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to women in the community and breaking that barrier and that fear and getting them to come in. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. You're getting feel good. emotional. I am. Oh thank my you. <laughs> I love it. And I seriously, love what I did. It, it can save your life. Exactly. If we can detect a breast cancer early enough, it's typically just a year out of a woman's life that mm-hmm. stinks. Because mm-hmm. it takes about that long to go through the whole process. Mm-hmm. But if it's found late, it's just, yeah, it's awful. It's just harder. So if we can just catch it soon, get your mammogram every year. Get your mammogram every year. <laughs> thank you so much thank for coming you. Thank in thank you and you for, talking for having with me. Us. And I will see you soon because you're due. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I am too. All right. Um and-
1: a timeless classic. That's how the 121-year-old McLennan County Courthouse is described by some today.
3: That's right. Uh, and, Justin, of course, you know the building is located on Washington Avenue mm-hmm. in downtown Waco, uh, and it hasn't always looked the way it does today.
1: Yeah, after extensive research, Judge Matt Johnson can attest to that. He's a justice on Waco's 10th Court of Appeals and has a special connection with the courthouse as well. In fact, Judge Johnson here grew up visiting the building as a boy, and now he's here with us telling the story of the courthouse and his his new book called Plan Number Nine, The Construction of the 1902 McClellan County Courthouse.
3: Yes, yeah, so joining us now, you know, sharing more about the courthouse's history and his book is, of course, Judge Matt Johnson himself. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today. Glad to be here. Okay, so um, you're publishing this book um, just in time for the holiday buying season. I'm sure people who are all into history are going to be into this book, you've put a lot of hard work and dedication into it, and of course, we'll talk about where you can get the book. But first, just give us a little background. Who are you? Where are you from?
2: Well, uh, (laughs) I'm from Waco. I was Mm -hmm. born and raised here and educated in the Waco public schools. Um, And I've spent a lot of time in the courthouse Mm -hmm. in my professional career. I was an assistant district attorney and a prosecutor in that role. I was a justice of the peace for a period of time. And then I was a district judge for 14 years, and now on the on the 10th Court of Appeals in Waco. So, the courthouse is a place where my professional career has been extensive. But as a kid, I grew up going down there because I I would go visit my father, who was a district judge, Derwood Johnson, here for in in the courthouse for about 30 years.
1: Oh, cool. All right. So let's go back in time a little bit. This is some history that you know. So we know that uh, the construction of a new courthouse was part of the Greater Waco campaign in the 1900 the year 1900. So. Can you tell us who was a part of that initiative and why they wanted to build a new courthouse?
2: Well, it was a unique collection of the business community and uh, the city and the county. Uh, The business community was primarily represented by the Young Men's Business League. It was the Chamber of Commerce of the day. And they wanted to have good governmental services so that Waco would be a great city of industry is the way they described it. Mm -hmm. And so they had uh, four items on their agenda. They wanted a new courthouse, they wanted uh, a new train station, uh, a new Katy Depot. Mm-hmm. They wanted a, a new bridge across the Brazos, and they wanted to navigate the Brazos River, which proved elusive, but they did get the other three. Mm-hmm. Um, and the old courthouse had some problems. We had two district courts at the time. One had been created in 1893, the 54th District Court was, and we had a courthouse that only had one courtroom. Oh. Also, the area where the courthouse was industry had grown up around there and it was noisy. There was a train that came by every day and a certain time of the day and the judges would have to recess the, the trials oh. because, because jurors couldn't hear. And so it had become, we'd, got, we'd outgrown it and also it had, it had gotten uh, the part of town that it was located in was just noisy.
3: Mm-hmm. Talk about the debate with, you know, trying to get this, this project approved and, you know, did voters pass it the first time?
2: Well, it was unique. The county was split a bit. Uh, in the rural parts, they perceived it as maybe something that would just benefit Waco. Mm-hmm. And so the rural parts didn't really vote in favor of it. Um, in the city of Waco, uh, the, the measure carried uh, carried by 98%. Hmm. Out of, out of 2,000 yeah. votes, only 38 votes were against the courthouse proposition. Hmm. Now, countywide, it carried by only 66%. And actually, if you excluded Waco, the proposition would have failed.
1: Mm. Well, interesting, so very divided there. Okay, so we know the construction project began January 1st, 1901, completed by October 1902. Who was selected be, to be a part of that project?
2: Well, the, the county commissioners put out bids mm-hmm. uh, for architects, and, uh, and they collected nine, or excuse me, they collected 10 uh, proposals as far as the structure, mm-hmm. the design, building of the structure. And uh, James Riley Gordon submitted plan number nine, which is where the title of the book comes from. Okay. And James Riley Gordon's uh, plan was accepted by the consulting architect to the commissioner's court, and he described it as a, as a building with elegance and repose.
3: So one year for construction, though, is that, was that good timing? Well, Tom... Back then?
2: Tom Lovell was uh, hired as the courthouse contractor. He mm-hmm. was a contractor out of Denton, Texas. And he had built the Hill County Courthouse. Okay. And, so, and he'd built a lot of others. He'd worked on the Texas State Capitol. He was an experienced mm. builder. Okay. And so he started staking out the, the area where the courthouse was to be built on January 1st of 1901. And then the county was able to move in some of the offices by October of 1902. So it, it took about a year and ten months or so.
1: Yeah. That uh, inspiration for the title, um, where did that come from?
2: Well, it, it was James Riley Gordon's plan. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. his plan was not plan number nine, it was, that, it was given that number by the consulting architect. He That's said, what I was trying right, to yeah. figure out. Okay. Right, he just said, he just said uh, here's plan number one, here's plan yeah. number, number two. So this <laughs> <shows nine. laughs> yeah. lo- looking at the courthouse
1: and knowing it the way you do in and out and everything about it, what are some of the, I guess, two or three things that make it truly unique? What are some of the most unique
2: features about our courthouse that maybe no one else has? Well, our courthouse, um, is, it's really almost looks more like a capitol building.
1: That's what I was thinking.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot of the courthouses as you drive around Texas, you go, well, that's the courthouse. Mm-hmm. You come to Waco and you go, that's, an, you know, it's a unique, one of a kind. James Riley Gordon's built several courthouses and, or designed several courthouses here in Texas. And uh, they, had a, they had a similar style. Mm-hmm. But this one was an original of yeah. his. And there's not another one like it.
1: Yeah, it's special. And we need to ask you this because it's Halloween. So any, any Ooh. stories of anything strange or spooky happening there since it's been around in the past, you know, 125 years or whatever it's been.
2: I, I've seen a lot of strange in the courthouse. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, oh, I imagine yes. so. I imagine so. Now, the the spooky part may have been when the courthouse was originally built. There there are eagles uh, that are mounted on the around the mm-hmm. around the dome, and those eagles had. Uh, illuminated eyes and they were illuminated red and so I imagine if you went by the courthouse at night and saw those eagles with red eyes, that could have been a little spooky. So they were lit up from the inside or they just reflected? No, they were lit up from the inside. Whoa.
1: Whoa! (laughs) That means don't get yourself in trouble and have to go to court, is what that means. (laughs) Stay away if you can. I love that. That's great information. Oh, my gosh.
3: Judge Johnson, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, I can't wait to even read your book. Um, If you would like to pick up a copy, you can do so. It's called uh, Plan 9. It's at Fabled Bookstore. You can learn more uh, by scanning the QR code that you see on your screen right now that will take you to an article uh, by our very own Tommy Witherspoon, who sat down with Judge Johnson to talk about this book. So thank you again for coming in. You bet,
1: thank you. Very interesting. We'll be right back.
2: This has been a Rogue Media Network production.